Welcome to AR Reads, a podcast by the Architectural Review. Founded in 1896, the AR has set the international architecture agenda for over 120 years, the projects and essays featured in its pages addressing the critical ideas of the time. The AR Reads series brings you a piece from our vast archive, read out loud for you to enjoy. I'm Lily Zajitsky, Assistant Editor at the Architectural Review, and today I'll read a piece on Cedric Price by Douglas Murphy, published in AR December 2017, January 2018. The piece is part of our Reputation series and was published as part of an issue on the theme of adaptive reuse, picking up on the ideas of adaptability, indeterminacy and progress that underlie Price's work. As the need for sustainable alternatives to building anew becomes increasingly urgent, the new into old awards celebrate the creative ways buildings are adapted and remodelled to welcome contemporary uses. This year we will be hosting the winner of the 2021 awards, Zav Architects, in an online event celebrating their project Farsh Film Studio and discussing adaptive reuse as a type of architectural intervention. The event will be held on 19th of July and is free to attend. Just follow the link in the episode description to find out more and register. An odd and prematurely yellowed section of footage begins with a close-up of a street sign reading Prince of Wales Road. Zooming out, the camera reveals the actual Prince of Wales, looking disconcertingly young and intently serious. Made in 1979, this short film documented the visit of His Royal Highness to a pioneering urban community project, Interaction, whose organisers felt would have some synergy with the Prince's trust. On an open space in the middle of Kentish town, Charles intones, a group of talented men and women are bringing some highly original ideas into play. Their problem was how to get young people to develop a sense of community involvement, how to stimulate self-help and a feeling of creativity in an area that doesn't readily inspire such things. Various establishing shots show a banal-looking structure that looks as though a builder had knocked up a timber yard while entertaining fantasies of the Pompidou Centre. The prince continues, Not all of the answers they came up with are visible in this unusual purpose-built centre. After all, there's no great difficulty in erecting a lot of prefabricated buildings. The building His Royal Highness was visiting was designed by Cedric Price, one of few Price actually built over his half-century career. It was designed to accommodate the changing activities of the Interaction charity, from recording studios to a restaurant, a theatre and a club, from football to go-karting. A basic steel frame extended along the site, filled with portagabins, log huts and a light industrial black-clad enclosure at its heart, with round windows filched from old British rail stock. Professional critics rarely concur with Prince Charles on matters of architecture, but it's abundantly clear that the Interaction Centre was a very ugly building. This, of course, was the point. The term anti-aesthetic stuck doggedly to Price throughout his life. Unlike the jewel-like and rhetorical Pompidou, under construction at the same time, interaction was supposed to demonstrate what taking functionalism seriously actually entailed. Price's vision was of a building that could accommodate an ever-shifting brief, with the configuration changing when requirements dictated. The price, so to speak, for this was a total absence of monumentality or decorum. Today, it's quite hard to get a grip on the legacy of Price, who died in 2003. This is in part because there's so little built work left. 
Interaction was itself demolished after Price fought against the 20th century society and English heritage, who wanted it kept, meaning that his only significant extant built work is the Snowdon Avery at London Zoo. But the other major obstruction to understanding Price is penetrating the miasma of his myth. Wafting around Bedford Square like a haze of cigar smoke, the myth is all-enveloping, stupefying and sedating an entire generation of the Architectural Association. Cedric, they all seem to purr. The tales are numerous and familiar. The phone calls from Princess Margaret, the 9am brandies, telling a couple they need not a house but a divorce. The friendship with Lord McAlpine, extreme lunching and more. They paint a picture of a kind, eccentric uncle, epicurean and well-connected, with a restless capacity for oblique thought. Predictably, the myth is well-preserved and well-documented, culminating in a two-volume doorstep oeuvre complète launched at the AA last year. Online, you can watch hours of Price at the lectern, smoking away, seemingly half-cut, changing subject at random, pausing to banter with Peter Cook and the gang. He also pipes up from the back of everyone else's lectures. The AA depicted in these scrapbooks of memories is a bit like a gentleman's club. Price once described an interior for the other Peter Cook's establishment, all good boys with the same accent from the same schools. It looks a bit unprofessional, elitist and self-regarding, a scene celebrating itself. The obvious problem with myth is that it makes it very difficult to get to grips with the work. The aviary is strange and beautiful, although Price wanted that gone too and Foster and Partners is now transforming it into a monkey house by adding a whimsical blob at one end. But nothing much else got built, not the fun palace, not the pottery's think belt, not the generator, nor the biosphere for the Parc de la Villette. There are some early humdrum modernist buildings, a couple of provocatively bad sheds here and there, but most of what Price actually did is now kept sealed in boxes at the Canadian Centre for Architecture in Montreal, which shelled out for his archive when he died. It's a wonder how he kept his four-storey office across the road from the building centre running all that time. But this is perhaps unfair, as a built legacy was the last thing Price was concerned about. For him, architecture was a set of processes, not objects. Indeterminacy, learning, change, adaptability, progress, creativity, these shibboleths of technological architecture all, to an extent, originate with Price. Post-war society was changing so fast, why couldn't the built environment keep up? Collaboration was key, and the cast of characters crowding into Price's life was extraordinarily diverse. Along with establishment friends, there was Joan Littlewood, whose vision of egalitarian theatre gave rise to the Fun Palace. There was Gordon Pask and cyberneticians, boffins from the early days of computing and systems theory. Price's leftist sensibility was also clear from his connections to new society and his work for the unions and the Greater London Council. But judging him by the company he kept is still difficult. His most famous protégé is Will Alsop, who may well share Price's Epicurean palette, but whose architecture bears little connection beyond perhaps an attachment to fun. Price was much admired by the Archigram boys, who ultimately made their mark more on education than on building, and, of course, Pompidou is an ossified monument to his 1960s ideas. Latterly, art world gadfly Hans Ulrich Obrist has tried to assert a kind of ownership over the fun palace, seeing in its dream of utopian leisure a prefiguration of all those tedious art beanbags and fairground slides of the last generation. 
Which brings us back to the ideas. There's an old maxim attributed to the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan. Don't give me what I want because that's not it. It means that human desire is insatiable, a process, not a goal. But it also means be careful what you wish for. And this is where many of Price's ideas seem to lead. As Pierre Vittorio Aureli and others argue, the participatory environments of the Fun Palace prefigure the post-Fordist environment where we are all creative labourers and we are never not at work. Pottery's think belt was superseded by the genuinely radical open university, but also itself pointed forward to the neoliberalisation of the university, the erosion of the protected scholarly space and the transformation of higher education into a service answerable only to economic impact. Other provocative ideas, such as demolishing Battersea Power Station underneath the chimneys to free up space, partly intended to mock the conservation movement, have in some ways come to pass, but also speak of the vogue for facadism, where buildings are completely and regularly remade behind the street line. Then there was 1969's non-plan, an experiment in freedom, which attacked the turgidity and inflexibility of the planning system, but then climaxed in its humiliation with the laissez-faire experiments that brought us Canary Wharf and Blue Water Shopping Centre. In a way, the role Price played in architectural history is that of the last amateur, a fate he shared with Buckminster Fuller, 40 years older but occupying a similar niche. The two iconoclasts shared a certain holistic expertise, a non-scientific scientism, trying to make new connections across an exploding terrain of information and knowledge. This is the cybernetic dream of the harmonic reconciliation of man and machine, but it's one that was swiftly professionalised and monetized. Price couldn't have his career now, as nobody would come looking for his advice. Why go to a brandy-swilling boffin when there are so many biddable consultants you could tap up instead? Despite the disappointments, the radical core of Price's work is that it tackled head-on one of the paradoxes at the heart of architecture, namely that true fidelity to the ideas of modernism means the disappearance of the building. There is something fundamentally communist about this, a vision of technologically advanced society of public leisure, freedom, learning and equality. The attempt always fails, as we just can't seem to do without walls and monuments, but it's always worth trying. Thank you for listening to AR Reads. You can find the link to this piece in the notes for this episode or head to architectural-review.com for all the latest pieces uploaded to our website, including projects and essays featured in the collage and AR new into old issue. The AR depends on its subscribers to bring you fearless storytelling, independent critical voices and thought-provoking projects from around the world. Consider supporting the AR with a subscription today. Visit architectural-review.com forward slash subscriptions to find out more. Students receive 30% off.